Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Pro Advocate Radio, brought to you by My Advocate Center. And welcome to Pro Advocate Radio with your host, James O'Brien, and Deb Beecham, founder and director of My Advocate Center. Deb, great to be back. Yes, good morning. I hope you enjoyed the game last night. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I did. Um, was pulling for Seattle, but you know how things go. Oh, yeah. But. Yeah. So um, thank you for getting up bright and early and joining us here at the studio. We're happy to be here. So I'm Deb Beecham with My Advocate Center, and we've been laying the foundation for Really, we need to get into some solutions for what's happening to families and children. We're here in Georgia, and what we're addressing is in every county, in every state. So we'll just get that out there. We have people listening in from around the globe, Canada, Europe. This is not unique to Georgia. This is not happening because it's a good old boy system. Although, we'll debate that later. <laughs> well, that may it's, be part of what's yeah, going it's, on. It's not necessarily that we're in the South and it's that kind of club. So anyway, we've, we've had an attorney and guardian ad litem in, mm-hmm. a financial advisor, and, and we've had some, um, I guess, right to the point commentary about the fact that um, families aren't getting the kind of support and even truth in their cases that we expect. We expect that the truth will count and that the facts will count in our cases to protect us and our children. So this is a really important conversation to have and have openly. And we've been inviting um, news media, legislators, law enforcement to look in on these cases and the topics and to understand better why there's such a great outcry all over Georgia and around the country and out of the country about Um, what we're facing. I mean, a lot of people are being devastated. Um, And whether it's in their home life, around their children, at work, their businesses. Um, I talked to another business owner this weekend who's losing her business Mm -hmm. as a result of this. So, um, you know, we're at Business Radio X in their um, production studio in Buckhead, and we're surrounded by people who don't talk about what's happening to their families until the subject comes up. And then they admit that they were shamed into not talking about what happened to them, mm-hmm. but they're so thankful that we're talking about it. So anyway, thank you, James, for kicking us off here. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and it, to just build on that, you know, there's a stigma, especially for moms. If, if a mom is falsely stripped and doesn't have her kids, you know, there, there's that extra layer of, well, what did she really do wrong? Because there's a perception out there that moms automatically going to get the children that correct we've, we've moved yes. away from that dynamic right they yeah, Anyhow, everyone says well she must really be a bad mother and they don't even pause to think that there might be something else at play well let me tell you folks there's a lot at play that you can't even fathom but there are good professionals there are good people in the system judges guardian ad litems attorneys there are good people who are not okay with good parents being stripped of their rights, falsely condemned, and cut out of the lives of their children. So that's the reason that we're on live today mm-hmm. is we have a special guest from out of town. That so we do. we're going to dig in a little further mm-hmm. into the Guardian Ad Litem program and what we're facing. So I'll let you introduce our guest. Well, uh, we're happy to bring uh, Julia Bloodsworth on with us, um, retired Guardian Ad Litem from the Augusta District. And uh, tell, give everybody a little bit of your background, Julia, and uh, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. 
Uh, I have been a guardian ad litem for about 12 years. Before that, I was a child advocate in juvenile court. And when my husband and I moved to Augusta, he became president of uh, Augusta State University then. That's what it was called. And I wanted to work with children in any capacity that I could. Uh, so we made a deal. He'd take care of ASU, and I'd try to take care of some children that needed help. <laughs> so it has worked really great. Um, I th- This has been my first experience since we've been in Augusta that I did that. Um, and it was because of a child named Angel Lee Hart, whose stepfather drowned her in a tub and... They put her body in a meat freezer and then moved to California and threw her body away and it that did it for me. That oh that was so a you've turning seen, point for me. Yeah, you've seen the worst of the yes. worst. Okay. Yes, I have. Um but basically that's where I've gotten my education. Um I was a business major in college but this is what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. I've been to almost every conference anything I can learn better about divorces how they impact children uh, and how to be a better guardian I've I've taken advantage of that so well and uh, just so people have a better understanding of what the guardian's role is what are the expectations of the judge in the court when they bring a guardian in? What do they expect you to actually go out and do? Uh, for um, what I call a lay guardian, because there are some attorney guardians, not many, just a few in our district. But they appoint the guardian. They expect the guardian to investigate, to talk to as many people as they can. And each end of Individual guardian works a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time talking to the children because the children are wary. Most of them are wary of the stranger coming into their house. Um, a lot of them have been told, don't talk to the guardian, are influenced by one parent or the other. And it takes time to win their confidence and to know that I'm there for them. I'm not there for the parents. Um, and that that's the biggest obstacle depending on the you know the age of the child and everything but um we do we talk to um teachers are our best resources in the schools because they see these children every day mm-hmm. counselors if there are problems the counselors know about it um and i depend strong you know just strongly with the school system uh to help me i try to build a rapport, which I normally can over time with with the child or children. Uh, one of the first things I do is I have this little booklet I make that says all about me, mm-hmm. and it's a child or children. And I try to get questions out of them, like, what do you do with mom? What do you do with dad? Uh, and then throw in things so that, like, what would, if you could be an animal, what would you like to be? You know, mm-hmm. just to try to get them off a little bit and will be upfront with me and honest um and again if they're if it's their age appropriate i do try to explain what my role is i, I would like for them to have some mm-hmm. understanding of that and then i fight like a mother tigress for these children well uh, quick question and then deb i'll let you interject 
Um, assuming we've got, uh, there's no allegations on the table. This is just kind of a run of the mill divorce. What kind of time are we looking at that we would expect a guardian who's doing the job properly to be investing in? A lot shorter, number one. Number two, a lot of times the judges won't appoint um, guardians to every case. It's the high conflict ones, Mm -hmm. and then sometimes turn out to be that way that they didn't expect, and then they'll bring a guard, you know, or appoint a guardian. Uh, It's a lot shorter. I spend a lot of hours uh, just in in doing my job investigating. We are neutral. We start out as neutral as possible. We're not for mom. We're not for dad. We're for the children. Um, And then as a case comes along and allegations do come up, we check them out, and sometimes it shows that maybe one parent is not doing what he should be doing or whatever, and that changes it, and you're not really neutral toward the end. You have to make a recommendation to the judge. And uh, as far as the, uh, um, as far as that goes, we've reached the end of the case. Um, generally, it's a written recommendation. Yes, sir. And uh, that now is that normally done in a timely manner where the two opposing counsels have a chance to review that? Or? Our district requires that it's given to the judge and the, the attorneys three working days before the final hearing. Our gotcha. hearing gives them a little time to yes digest it right. Um, the, and another thing that we're seeing a lot uh, with the uh, the guardians is. How is billing supposed to be handled during this whole process? My understanding is the judge will set an amount generally. If it's a lawyer, it's the customary amount. But should if I'm a parent, should I not be getting some invoices as this process goes along? Or yes. So you should. Uh, in our district, it's sixty-five dollars for a non-attorney mm-hmm. an hour. For attorneys, it's one hundred twenty-five dollars. Okay. Um, very, that's one of my big issues that I have is that there's no follow-up on are we, how are we doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some guardians that if they call a parent, they charge. And if right. they just leave a message, things like that. Um, I'm very liberal. I don't, char- I don't even charge when I talk to parents on the phone. Right. But that's just me as a guardian mm-hmm. i feel like the more i talk to a parent on the phone if they call he it gets me more information right and i'm not going to charge them for that so right. well and and deb you wanted to dig into some more specifics of some cases that uh you've become aware of and kind of get uh Julie's input on how these things might have gone awry. Right. So we've been paying close attention to a large number of cases in the metro Atlanta area. And, you know, there's been news media coverage and a group from Augusta actually traveled to Atlanta and said, please, please, please come to our district and see what's happening. Right. Come to a couple of hearings. So I traveled and um, this is even hard for me to talk about as much as I've seen all these cases here, there's just something different in Augusta. And it's kind of like this in some of the other outlying areas where there's less transparency 
and there's a smaller group controlling what's going on. And I, at first, I didn't believe we were going to find that there were any good guardians or professionals in this area. So I'm really mm. pleased, you know, when I met you and some others, I could say, okay, here's the difference. So um, one of the cases that um, we looked at, you know, there's a lot of heat on defects. There's a lot of complaints. Yes. So when you see defects doing their job and making reports, substantiating abuse, but you see the guardian ad litem and the court doing something different and even suppressing that defects report, that really, you know, I made me take a big step back and say, what's going on here? So in this case, I believe that you came in and took over on a case for a particular guardian and mm -hmm. realized that there was a child needing protection who wasn't getting protection. And so without naming names or, you know, giving away specifics, you know, I think if you articulate what you've seen around that case and maybe some others, you can feel free to give us whatever examples you want. Okay. But what I'm hoping for is that we can see some intervention here because, you know, for me, this isn't about a radio show. It's not about an organization or anything else. It's about the lives of these kids. And can we do better for them now? Not you know, we, we have a lot of work to do for five and 10 years down the road, but right mm -hmm. now. So I'll let you take over. All right. Um, I was appointed as a second guardian in a case that I had maybe two and a half, three months. Uh, that was, it was a very intense case. Um, the first guardian actually she had been the guardian for a year and she recused herself because of a conflict of interest and then thereafter the judge appointed me uh, to finish the case out um, I spent I can't I mean I spent untold hours um, going back and reading everything about that case the transcripts I had um, talking again to everybody I felt like I needed to talk to because otherwise I felt like I would go in as a dummy, you know, just an inflated dummy to end the case as a guardian. And I wasn't going to have that. I mean, that's not my style. <laughs> I want to know everything there is to know. Um, and my observations and investigation and everything was the opposite of the first guardian. Wow. Um, and my report reflected that. Um, I mean, I just had red flags everywhere. How did the court receive your information? Uh, they didn't follow my recommendations, right. so not okay. very well, I don't think. So it was um, stirred things up a little bit. That <coughs> could Excuse you me. could you tell that there was information not making it onto the record? Yeah, well, yes, I could. And the thing that really surprised me was. At a hearing, in a final hearing, each attorney has a chance to get up and state what you know will they will show, and then next the guardian gets up and reports what she or he has found in his investigation, and the guardian that had recused herself because of a conflict of interest was put on the stand as a guardian 
you know, not not as a witness for either side, but as a as a guardian. Oh. And, and then I was the second. I was uh, so she after that one. and then testified. Yes. Okay. I thought that was highly unusual. That does seem like a instant conflict of interest. And let me remind our listeners: you're listening to Pro Advocate Radio with your host James O'Brien and Deb Beecham. Founder and uh, uh, owner of My Advocate Center and our special guest, Julia Bloodworth, uh, from the Augusta District, a retired guardian at Lightham. And we will continue discussing uh, some of the things going on with guardians in the state of Georgia with Julia. Yeah, so this is a good example. And I think we could probably talk for two hours straight on all the different issues surrounding this case because my understanding... And what I saw, and I spent a lot of time looking at this case specifically, that while the guardian was withholding information from the court, including the report substantiated by defects, is that correct? That's correct. That there were also allegations made against the father. And from all angles of this investigation, none of that appeared justified. Correct. And I'm, I'm going to interject here a little bit because the, one of the things that caught my attention, you know, and I look at every case like, can we give the child the best of both parents? Doesn't right, mean we need right. two perfect parents and it doesn't mean it has to be 50-50, but what's best? And we want to set parents up to succeed. Exactly. Even a parent who has anger issues or addiction or some type mm-hmm. of dysfunction, it doesn't mean they have to be a terrible parent forever. They may be struggling right now, but if we get them the help they need, they can do better for their child. Right. And, you know, the child deserves that chance to see their parent, you know, right. come up to par. So in this case, it looked like one parent was being inflamed and worsened out of control. The false allegations condemning an innocent parent, you know, or what seems to be an innocent parent, and who is being shut down and not even allowed to defend himself. Right. Disadvantaged from the start. So this was terribly egregious from my viewpoint and from all the counselors that I've shown this case to, um, and law enforcement in other districts were really looking at each other saying, you know, what's going on here? You know, is it just this district? (laughs) I said, I smiled and said, we'll come back to that later. (laughs) But right now, Augusta, like as a community, and it's, it involves several counties, they're crying out in large numbers. They are. And they are. so thank you for being here in the studio, and I'll let you continue on with what happened at that point after you were both in court. Right. And then we both did speak as guardians. Um, and it just, to me, it ended up being almost what I would consider biased. Um, and that that and another case ended it for me. I just thought, it's time for me to resign. I can't, you know, I can't handle this anymore. So that's yeah, exactly I, what you know I did. What, that makes me really sad. And I know our listeners are probably feeling a little dejected that someone like you would not be able to continue. And I understand because... I see, and I've actually had a letter from a therapist yesterday, and again, I'm not going to reveal names, but she said, I said, are there any therapists 
here in our area that we can count on to counsel and support and treat who can also testify if that's what's needed. And she said no. Mm -hmm. And it's for the reason that you just stated. You can do the best job and truly advocate and fight to get that child protected and supported and to help the parents do right. You know, we're not looking right, to yeah. take children away from parents if there's a way the parents can no, manage. they need both parents if they at do. all possible. Right. So in this case, the father was completely cut out of the child's life. And he had his work vehicle, his work tools, all of his property, even property that belonged to his father, Everything just stripped from him. And premarital property. Premarital property taken from him to what it appeared to be to pay the attorney's fees for the mother. Yes. While false allegations were made, while he was put in jail, and I remember getting a phone call and reached out to someone there that I knew who I thought might be able to advocate with law enforcement, and turned out that person was actually working with the judges And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's for another day. But, you know, it was quite interesting. I mean, they went to great lengths to make sure that this father could not speak. And I also understand that he's not allowed to call defects. He's not allowed to call law enforcement. And when he raises money to cover legal fees, he's criticized. And, you know, my word is condemned. What Mm -hmm. I saw and heard and read is that there's a condemnation when parents try to stand up for themselves and their children. There's really nothing you can do right. Exactly. In a lot of cases, yeah. And the thing about it is opportunities to get a a good job so that he could pay child support or whatever and have a place of his own so that his child could be there I mean, it was just stripped because nobody's going to hire you when you've been in jail or when this kind of uh, trial is going on. Right. So this is happening, and this is happening in every county. We're getting a lot of cases like this. And what I want to express right here, right now, is that Augusta has a phenomenal group of people and the, they started an organization called stop parental bullying and it's parents bullying each other, parents bullying children, but the courts and certain court professionals. And I say select custody experts, guardians, bullying parents with billing problems and leaving out evidence, falsifying reports, and, and even the psychologists, we've seen psychologists working with guardians to yes. do, and that happened in this case as well. This is, um, this is one of the worst cases I think we have right now in mm-hmm. Georgia because we have an available father who's a great father. We have a child crying out for help. And in this case, we also have an older child, correct? You know, yes. There's, there's two children from two different fathers, and... I understand that the older daughter was removed from the home and it appeared that it was justified for her to be removed, but they left the younger daughter. That's correct. Yes. I have a problem with that. I do too. Well, I think the thing that keeps coming up that I find so disturbing, and Julia, you can talk about this, but it seems like 
you know, if I'm a judge or a guardian and there's an allegation, I'm immediately going to only accept that allegation on a certain level because I know there's a conflict going on here and people Correct, use yeah. I'm a, I'm actually going to immediately assume that that may not be true. You're going to kind of have to prove that allegation. Right. It seems to work the other way around in the family court system. If there's an allegation, we have judges and guardians that are all too willing to just accept that as the gospel truth. Yes. And then they're not investigating it or if no. or if they get proof that maybe that wasn't true, they want to suppress and ignore that and that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Oh, uh, I have found that to be true in our district. Um, I don't know why I'm not a member of that group that you mentioned, but I get calls, uh, I guess because I've been a guardian for so many years, I get calls constantly with concerns that parents have, uh, the way things worked in the court system. And I don't understand why it, you can't say, let's face it and let's see what we can do to change this for the children's sake. Right. You know? And I, I think we have an opportunity right now that we've never had before. Yes. Because we have guardians speaking out more. You're not the only one. Right. We have attorneys speaking up. We have attorneys taking over cases and helping to turn them around. We have parents pulling together. And I started to say, you know, this situation was so dire and desperate. The family didn't understand what was going on. They were trying to support. But this is, you know, nobody can fathom what what is happening. And when people get put in jail, there's such a stigma. Yes. And, and it tends to make people want to pull back. And like I don't want to be tainted by this situation. I don't want it right. to rub off on right. me. So um, that to everyone's credit, everyone stood by this father. And not only did the news station air stories, you know, about several cases and the issues, um, but really stood by this case. And when there was a hearing the other day that the other party didn't show up for, um, there was the news reporter with the camera and there was the Augusta Chronicle. So, um, you know, thank goodness for Nick Lully with um, Fox 54 there in Augusta. Right, they've, yeah. you know, they've stepped up and done some great reporting and, you know, I, I believe that saved some lives because I think people were giving up hope. And um, when the Augusta Chronicle started writing and doing additional research, I mean, some of the research uh, that the reporter there has done, ha we've talked it about it at a national mm -hmm. level that he really spent months he did. On, on off hours. Mm -hmm. um, so we appreciate both, um, you know, Fox and the Augusta Chronicle for taking a chance and spending the time because it's not easy to do this research and dig in and to make sense of it. Um, and it's often that we think, oh, he said, she said, family drama, you know, who knows what goes on behind closed doors. Actually, a, a, I don't know if he's listening right now, but a national TV personality, you know, was chatting with me about this. And he said, you know, nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. And I would mm -hmm. say, sir, if you look at the pleadings and you sit in the courtroom and you do a little investigation, if you understand the professional misconduct that's going on around these cases that don't make sense, it's much easier to see who's doing what, who's at fault. But not only that, I'm, I'm not looking to pile on anybody. 
I want to see the parties get help and get this resolved so that everyone can move on with their lives. But we can figure this out. And if we can figure this out, we can come up with solutions to it. Right. Well, the, and the one thing I would say to that gentleman is that the closed doors at home are not the only closed doors. <laughs> That's a good There's one. There's some closed doors in these courtrooms True. that True. where nobody knows what's going on behind exactly. those closed doors either. And I'm sure, Julia, you've seen plenty where – there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and the problem is if it doesn't happen in the open court, there's no record of it, and you're, you have no ability to appeal something that went on in judges' chambers between the lawyers. That's true. That is very yeah, true. There's a lot that goes on that's kept off the record, and now we're seeing with um, the court reporters in jail now on criminal charges, racketeering for fraud around billing issues with transcripts, but there's little, there's more to it than just billing. Um, so we're mm-hmm. going to be making the connection mm-hmm. um, with news media and legislators about, you know, why, why are so many families damaged? You know, is it just a court reporter doing these things or are there, are there other people involved, you know, and what's being left out of these transcripts? And a great example is what's happening in Noonan. And we see that's, Noonan is a hotbed, you know, pretty much every county in Metro Atlanta is, has its issues. Augusta's, I'm just so sorry that, um, we haven't been able to do more faster there in Augusta. Um, but, um, where was I going? The, um, oh, in Noonan, we have, um, a case where the courtroom audio reveals a lot that's very telling mm-hmm. and you can see that it was left out of the transcript right and that yeah. information you know it, it makes all the difference in the world not only there in that trial but for the appellate court in the supreme Correct. court yes. we we don't we do not have a complete record on that case right and that's the same thing here with augusta so yeah and i just want to remind our listeners again you're listening to pro advocate radio with your host james o'brien and deb beecham owner and founder of My Advocate Center, and our special guest, uh, Julia Bloodworth from the Augusta <laughs> District, retired uh, gal from out there, kind of shedding some light on some things going on out there. And uh, we'll jump right back in. Deb, uh, you know, you had the uh, court reporters up there that were have now been put in jail, but there's a, that goes, uh, the one down there in um, Noonan, um uh, there's been a lack of pursuit of because Correct. this wasn't just one case. We found out she's been misbilling for decades. Yeah, there's overbilling going on, and this was admitted in a deposition that not only was this case overcharged, but other civil litigants and criminal cases, which means counties and taxpayers right. are paying more than they should be paying. So, and we know that it's not just the Noonan area, which is several counties. We have these three court reporters from Cherokee, Cobb, you know, the trial was in in Cobb County. So, you know, it's not our imagination. Mm -hmm. There's a financial impact, but the impact on the children and the parents' ability to nurture, provide for, and protect children is at stake. And to educate, you know. To educate. Mm-hmm. It's affecting, you know, I'm going to just touch on this real very quickly so everyone understands this is a broader issue. It right. affects children's performance in school. It affects how teachers are able to use their time. 
Right. I taught school for a little while and there in for one year. And in that one year, the things that went on, the the family stresses that right. these children brought to school. So, and I know from seeing my own children and many other children that it's having a big impact, negative impact on their education, their health. And I mean, parents aren't, parents are being pulled out of work to be able to work with guardians and to do these things. So the shorter, the shorter the duration of the case, the shorter, the faster the investigation goes, mind you, thorough. Right. Yeah. Not speed. Right. Substituting for accuracy. But if we have um, efficient, thorough investigations by the book with transparency and with, I'd like to see more consistent billing practices across the state, across counties, and accountability for professionals, especially when you can see they're intentionally blocking reports and evidence that should be used to protect the children. Um, So again, we can spend more time later getting into specifics that we would like to see. I'm sure you have a lot of great ideas. (laughs) Well, I think anything that we come up with should be statewide. Every district seems to do their own thing. Uh, even though we have the codes and everything that blah, 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 uh, there's still each county working differently. And that all needs to come together. And there needs definitely needs to be accountability. Uh, who does it? I don't know. But I, I would love to see the governor form a commission with different attorneys, your average person and anybody to come up with solutions so that they will work and not continue to be ignored because some things guardians know we know what we're we can do and we can't do um but sometimes it doesn't happen that way and yeah, sometimes so some guardians get greedy 65 dollars an hour is a lot of money mm-hmm. well in in deb you brought up it being done by the book, but Julia, it sounds like the problem is we really don't have a book. No, uh, no, just the code and the um, uniform. The what is it? The uniform code of conduct, yes. or whatever that seems to be more of a suggestion right. than a, anything else. But we need more. We need more. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting when you read a contract by a guardian ad litem that asks. And this is a a well known guardian custody evaluator actually states in her contract that she won't work with you unless you agreed to waive all liability. So the state, the state can hold someone accountable for bad faith. Yes. So when a guardian says, I want to be exempt from bad faith, from everything, like you have absolutely zero recourse, no way to hold me accountable. Would you sign that contract? No. No. Okay. I didn't think so. I was floored. Well, um, the, the problem is what I've seen going on is we've got some, uh, these judges that really aren't giving parents that option. It's like, here's your guardian. You're going to do whatever this guardian says. This guardian only answers to me. You have no recourse. Talking about opening the door, that's Pandora's box right there. And here's, this is additional money you're going to have to put out in yeah, I mean, and when there's no accountability, 
you know, everybody needs somebody looking over their yes, shoulder. Yes, yes, yes. Even people with the best of intentions can right. go awry when there's when you don't have a roadmap. And it right. sounds like that's a lot of what we've got going on. It is. It really is. You know, we're going to be um, out of time here in a few minutes. So I want to um, circle back to what's front and center in my mind, and that's this child who needs her father. And, and she needs her mother, too. Yes. And can you see any creative, outside-the-box way that we could make that happen for this child where, you know, the child's able to tell her story and ask for what she needs, and if there's some intervention needed to help everyone be healthy and stable? It depends on the judge. Okay. All right. So we know where, we, we, know mm-hmm. where we need to go with that question then. Right. And the thing about judges, they never see the children. Hardly ever do they see the children. So, I mean, they're just blank faces. And, uh, you know, guardians that really deal with these children, we, we know them. I mean, I get to know these kids and what bothers them and what they think of the mom and dad and, you know, try to work with them. But right. so, so there are no need, faces for judges. So we, so, so we need to ask for something more here and yes we'll follow up when we're off the air but can you imagine under is there anything you can think of that should be keeping this father from at least having a reasonable amount of time with his child no nothing do you think it's harming his child that she's yes it was just like cut off no goodbye or you know you will i will be able to talk to you in maybe two months how long has it been I'm trying to remember, almost a year. Almost a year. And I've seen the letters and the pictures that this girl has created asking for help right, right. so that she could be with her father. She doesn't say, I hate my mommy, I never want to see her. She says, I need my daddy, I miss my daddy. Where is my daddy? And she doesn't understand she doesn't the understand. whole process. But she came to court, didn't she? Yes, she did on one occasion, yeah. And she came voluntarily. Yes. And she spoke how? I was not at that particular hearing, but I think she basically told the truth about that particular... That she, in, from what I've seen of this, she wanted to be back with her father. And I, I'm, I'm still just so impressed that she was brave and yes. able to do that. I right, know that was very right. hard. Um, and, you know, I've had a little communication with the mother in this case, not not much. And it's still, it's an open door to talk and because I don't think it has to be this way. Right, right. And so, but again, our focus is on what the professionals are doing, how the system works, and is there some way for the process to be opened up and looked at, improved upon, and, you know, and, and right now, if we can intervene and restore balance in this case, you know, that would be a success story. Yes. And I think Georgia and other states, many, many families and professionals need to see something positive come out of all this. Yes. So I that's agree. what we're aiming for. And that's that's our business. The, my Advocate Center's business is to 
see things turned around right. and to see solutions presented and to see good professionals like yourself lifted up. So thank you so much for being here and being who you are oh, and advocating you. the way I've seen you do in court. <laughs> thank you. Well, I think the part of this that blows me away is um, is a defects report being suppressed and then the fact that the ju- what justification was given for taking the older child and leaving the younger one? If defects is going to remove one, why would they not remove two? Uh, you know, if there's truly a problem here, even if dad wasn't the appropriate place to take the child, how do you leave a child in that situation? I, I'm right. a little floored about that. And the other thing that I come back to is the fact that even if I'm not the custodial parent, and I have not been stripped of my rights, I should be informed of the things that are going on with my kids. If there's a medical issue, if there's a defects report, even if I'm not allowed to see my child, I should still be given that information. Yes, yes I agree. There's a topic, um, there's a lot on the on social media about parental alienation. Yes. You know, and I understand, and so I, I keep saying this, but we're going to need to get into that more in more detail in another show. But in this case... There's effort by the court, by the guardian ad litem, by the attorneys who were on the case, and actually on both sides of the case previously, um, who participated in creating a divide between the father and his child. You know, I've seen, you know, I'm not going to get into anything about the mother, but the, the fact is the father's been cut off for almost a year from the child, but the child still came to court when she hadn't seen her father in a while right. and spoke Girl. with love and pleading with the court that's a child i believe who will not let herself be alienated from her father emotionally even though there's physical separation mm-hmm. so i want to give people hope that even if you're going through this don't lose hope that you'll lose that bond with your child that i i believe that can be restored if there's bond you it will be there yeah so hang in there if you're going mm-hmm. through this and know that there are some there are actually a lot of good people working on this right well and Julia, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to have you back. You seem like a wealth <laughs> of information about this and uh Deb, tell everybody how to uh get a hold of you at my advocate Center so that if they're having an issue with a case that they're involved in um it, it could be a uh, case that's already been closed for years and they just want to now talk about what went wrong in their case to help people in the future or maybe it's a case that's going on right now or maybe you're a professional hearing this and you go you know what i am one of the good guys i'd like to help tell people how to get in contact with yes you. we will we'd love to talk to you myadvocatecenter.com and under the contact us tab there's two forms if you're a professional looking to provide assistance use the regular contact form. If you have a case that is problematic or you have details that you would like to provide to help our authorities review these cases and understand what's going on, uh, use the review case, uh, report cases form. And it's quite detailed, so be patient with that. And we'll follow up as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. Yeah, it's been a great show. Julia, thanks so much for joining You're us. You're welcome. Nice to be here. And, you know, Deb, hopefully through your efforts we can get this thing turned around there's a lot of people working for this dad you know eventually you got to hope that the truth shines through in this yes and join us again next week on my our pro advocate radio thank you james 
This show is brought to you by My Advocate Center, the voice for families and family law advocates. Learn more at myadvocatecenter.com.